Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hasia whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. And wow, do we have a lot to unwind from. The vibes out there are intense. A lot of you have probably been checking in on friends and loved ones. And we decided this week we want to do the same thing. So we are actually skipping the panel altogether. We are turning towards our community of Nerdette listeners. And we asked how you are handling tough news. And y'all showed up. Hi, Nerdette. This is Caitlin in Tucson, Arizona. Hey, Nerdette. This is Allison from Chicago. Hey, Nerdette. This is Chloe. Hi, my name is Michelle. Hi, Nerdette. This is Jessica in Baltimore. It is Steph. I am just outside of D.C. And how am I? How am I? (laughs) I'm a little nervous, too, to, like, put it out in the world about how I am. So it kind of feels like maybe it's not the right answer, but you got me thinking, um, and it feels good to say things out loud. So here we go. I have been absolutely devastated since I heard about the decision on Friday. I feel pretty beat down and discouraged and sad and angry. Just rage, unshakable rage incandescent rage. I wrote a song to summarize how I'm feeling right now. One, two, three, four. Ah! Thank you. Hey, Greta. It's your cousin, Sonia, from Minneapolis, Minnesota. And how I am feeling right now is really fucking angry. Love you. I'm um, kind of vacillating between despair and hope. It all just feels really unfair. I'm grieving the loss of my bodily autonomy in the eyes of my government and trying to figure out how best to channel my emotions into action. I've been going to a lot of rallies here where I live in Denver and find those to be a source of energy and comfort. It's wonderful to see the people who have been doing work on these important issues for decades, and I'm so grateful for them. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm feeling pretty upset about everything right now. I am a nurse. I work in Colorado. Um, Right now, our laws appear to be safe, but as we've seen nationally, everything could change in an instant. 
from a healthcare perspective, I don't know what we're going to do. Um, the prospect of even adjacently having to be a part of watching birth-giving people die is really frightening. I am feeling sad. Um, I have a daughter, she's six, and I am very sad that she's going to grow up in a world where it's illegal to have body autonomy for her, basically. You know, I've been trying to teach her that uh, about consent and that her body is her own and and no one can make her do anything with her body that she doesn't want to do. And um, that's just like not true anymore. And she's going to learn that and I will have lied to her about it. And then also, I have to hear everyone's hot takes on social media. (laughs) There's all this performative activism and there's all these things that people are trying to do and it's hard to know what's genuine and what's not. And I don't feel, I don't know how I feel. I feel bad. It feels very bad. I am very worried for my daughter who lives in Pennsylvania and is a patient escort for Planned Parenthood. And I'm worried that people will become emboldened and harm will come to people like her who are volunteers or to the doctors who are doing the good work or to the patients themselves. I can't believe we're at this point uh, and I look forward to actively working to change what happened last week. It's more than just, will I get pregnant or not get pregnant? It's, will I be able to live my life to the fullest? Will I be able to follow my dreams? Will I be able to have control over my own life? That is a fundamental right. I've been on birth control since I was 12 in order to literally stay alive, and I'm just so terrified. I've processed all of this like many years ago, um, but I feel like this new news has just like ripped a lot of old trauma open and I'm somehow supposed to like care about my Excel spreadsheets at work uh, as if everything is normal. Uh, This is Catherine calling from Del Rio, Texas, a border town that was recently put on the map because we are about an hour west of Uvalde. It's about 100 degrees. I feel like I'm melting. And my husband and I had our house packed up so that we can move to Japan. And I can't wait to get away from America because what's going to happen next? You know, weeks ago, a month ago, after the shooting in Vivaldi, um, I really was in a, like, crying every day kind of space. Nothing will ever change. I spent a weekend in the garden listening to some great podcasts, um, and uh, a few of them were tackling that shooting that I kind of just wanted to run away from. And um, after listening and leaning in and crying, (laughs) um, I felt like, you know what? This is not helping. Like, what I needed actually was... uh, to lean in and feel awful <laughs> and then um, buckle up and get some hope. Even if it's just a little 
a little thing that I, I can grab onto um, that, that gives me hope, even if it's um, not something that has a lot of weight. It leads us to action and to solving our problems um, and not just wallowing in how awful it is. I don't want this to be the toxic optimism moment. Like, you can be hopeful and know that everything is shit. <laughs> we have to be able to like strap in and fight for things that are better. Um, and that won't happen if we're all hopeless. I see hope as something that is a verb, it's an action, and we need to do something to feel hope, you know, like, I have now moved to donate money because I am fortunate enough to have the resources to do that. And I um, am planning on taking some action this upcoming weekend and seeing the millions of people that have done the same, that shit gives me hope. There are still options and um, there are a lot of women and men and, and just people in the world who will support you if you need help. And I hope you all are taking care of yourselves and staying well. And I hope you have an awesome day. Thanks. Thank you. It's good to know you guys are out there. We have to be in this for the long haul. Um, and together, that's how things are going to change. That's, that's kind of where I'm at. Thanks. Bye. I'm going to go to the beach. Maybe at the beach. Maybe uh, ocean waves will calm this frantic brain. Allison, Michelle, Christine, Sonia, Courtney, Jessica, Catherine, Chloe, Steph, Amy, Caitlin, Kara, Denise, Kristen, thank you all so much for showing up and speaking up and sharing where you're at. I cannot express how much it means to hear from y'all. After the break, Susan Kane tells us about her new book called Bittersweet. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. You have probably heard of Susan Cain's book, Quiet. That's the one that was all about introversion and the value of introverts in our extremely extroverted society. Susan has a new book out. It's called Bittersweet, How Sorrow and Longing Make Us Whole. And in it, she explains why we should all be leaning into sorrow and yearning more in order to get to some of the sweetest parts of life, like creativity and empathy and connection. Just a quick note before we get started, this is a conversation Nerdette producer Anna Bauman had with Susan before Roe v. Wade was overturned last week. So that topic isn't addressed specifically, but I know listening to this conversation, I thought it felt particularly relevant in light of recent news. 
Partly because what Susan is doing, she's not trying to say that everything's going to be fine. She's actually saying that it's important to be honest when things are extremely not fine. So here's Susan talking with Anna. So I just want to start off with, you know, the basics here. Um, Can you start by defining what we're actually talking about when you say bittersweet? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. So, I mean, we think of bittersweetness as being about particular moments in time, right? Like, you know, walking your child down the aisle or graduation or something like that. And it is that, but it's also, it's a kind of state of being, um, which you might call a kind of melancholic state in which you're acutely aware of the way in which joy and sorrow in this world are forever paired and that everyone we love best, um, everything we love best will not be here forever But what comes with that acute awareness is a very deep connection to the beauty of the world. And I think it's it's probably pretty obvious you wrote this book that you identify this way, too. Oh, totally, totally. Um, I mean, in fact, the reason that I started down this path is because I have had this very strong experience all my life of being drawn to kind of yearning minor key music and finding in that music not sadness but rather this sense of a kind of glorious connection with humanity and mm. um i don't know just like these soaring feelings of love that would come with the music and and so i Originally, I just wanted to understand that music, but I quickly realized that it was a much bigger subject than that, and that humans in general, we, that we come into the world with, with this sense of longing and yearning for a more perfect and beautiful world, and sad music happens to express that, but so do many other things as well, and it's part of a, a grand and glorious tradition that we've lost access to because we live in such a hyper positive culture that we mm-hmm. just don't tend to go in this direction. Um, and yet this direction is full of so much really joy and creativity and, and connection with each other. You're seeing there's, there's joy and connection with each other within this bittersweet sadness. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Um, I mean, you know, sort of on the granular level, because we are all human beings who experience not only good things, but also sorrows. And we are designed to react to and respond sympathetically to each other's sorrows. I mean, we're we're designed this way because first and foremost, because we had to be able to take care of our infants who would Right. You know, cry to make their needs met. And so so we kind of evolved to be able to respond to the cries of a being who is temporarily vulnerable. And but we don't do this only with babies. We do this with each other too. I mean, so the the very word compassion literally means it doesn't mean like be nice. It means to suffer with. One of one of my favorite bits of evidence that you had in the book came from two Emory University researchers. They found that helping people in need stimulates the same part of the brain as would, you know, winning a prize or eating a delicious meal. 
And the fact that those those things are like live together in the same place in our bodies is so fascinating to me. I know. I I agree with you because we tend to get the message that that kind of thing, like helping someone in need, mm-hmm. that that's like a Sunday school bromide. You know, it's like something you do if you're like trying to be a good person, you know, like that, um, as opposed to something you do for the same reason you would eat a piece of chocolate cake, you know, because it makes you feel good. Um, but the fact is it really does belong in the chocolate cake category. Oh, funny. And like in terms of that research, you know, there's also the um, the research by the psychologist, Dacher Keltner, who found that when we see someone in distress, our vagus nerve becomes activated and make us want to help them. And our, our vagus nerve that's like the biggest bundle of nerves in our bodies. And, you know, it controls our breathing and our digestion. So what that's saying is the same part of our bodies that is responsible for such a basic part of ourselves, our ability to breathe and to eat is also concerned with our feeling good when we help someone or, you know, feeling distressed when we see someone else in need. So it's core to who we are. Yeah, it's very core. It's very core to who we are. It's not just Sunday school. <laughs> um, you know, you started to talk about this, but I wanted to go back to this idea of like toxic positivity and mm-hmm. how, you know, especially in the U.S., our culture seems to be formed around pursuing happiness, obviously, and, you know, putting happiness above all as our end goal. And what do you think that we are all missing out on, you know, as individuals or in relationships when we do that? Well, I mean, the real problem is it means we're not telling the truth to ourselves or to each other. You know, we're, we're in a sense, we're, we're walking around as Instagram avatars, if you want to put it that way, you know, like how on Instagram, everybody, everything's perfect. Everything's beautiful. Everything's smiling. If when the pain comes, you can't express it or acknowledge it even, it will come out somewhere. So you'll end up taking it out on yourself, maybe through anxiety or depression or bulimia or whatever it is, Mm. Um, you know, or you'll take it out on, on others around you. And what this bittersweet tradition that I've been now studying for all these years shows us is that there's another way to deal with pain, which is to try to, I mean, to acknowledge it and to feel it and then transform it into something, into something more beautiful because, but the pain is telling us it's actually like a signpost to that, which we care about. So there's a reason like after nine 11, we sudden, you know, a, a painful event. Suddenly you have all these people signing up to be firefighters and teachers. And after the pandemic or in the pandemic, I should say, um, you suddenly have lots of people signing up for medical school and nursing school. Mm. So there's something in the human spirit that knows that we should take a painful experience and turn in the direction of, of meaning or beauty. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And it, this is the right time for a book like this to come out because of the pandemic. And I know you've been working on this for many years prior to the start of it. But how have you seen, if at all, a shift in how, um, you know, in our cultural understanding of sadness and longing after the last two years? Well, I I think what's happened is that 
after the last two years, there's just been so much disruption and sorrow and longing that people can no longer turn a blind eye to it. It's just so much in our face, so to speak, that right. um, that we can't help but open ourselves up to it more. And yet we're all in it together. And I think that's, that's, or we can, we have the capacity to all be in it together. I think that's really where the hope comes from. Um, you know, the, the epigraph of the book comes from Leonard Cohn, who said in his song, Anthem, There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. There's a crack in everything. That's where the light gets in. And I think that's the real wisdom of the bittersweet tradition right there. Um, always a crack, always a crack, but through the crack comes light. You know, I, I was thinking about telling you this. Um, I So I have a tattoo, which my mother doesn't know. She listens to this. Um, so I'm so sorry, mom. <laughs> but it's inspired by um, a river. Um, it's like an abstract drawing. And it's because... Uh, you know, someone said to me at like a really, it was like a darker time of, you know, me figuring out life as a young adult. Um, and she said to me, you're a river. <laughs> um, it, it, you know, in, in retrospect, it, it's not, it's not that big of a thing to say, but it's when those, those lines just hit you at the right time. It has stuck with me. So she said, you're a river because, you know, if it's a man-made river, it just goes um, straight and barrels through um, land and forests and kills things in its path. And if you're a natural river, you have bends and turns, um, and that's where the flora and fauna grow, um, mm. where, you know, there are harder times that you're going to go through that aren't planned but that's the beauty of it. And yeah, it's just those recognizing that there's beauty in these, in the hardship and the truth of what you go through as a human was really just what I needed at the time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. That's such an amazing metaphor. I can't believe you have that, that tattoo. That's so great. <laughs> you can get it too. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to add to that also something about the fact that when you shared that just now, that was like a further deepening of, of those experiences you just described, because we all know what you're talking about mm. when you say that. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's making me think of, uh, there's one woman who, young woman whose words I quoted, quoted in the book and she was describing, um, her grandfather's funeral and, she talked about the funeral and how it was the first time she had seen her father cry. Um, mm -hmm. Some of the friends, some of the, her grandfather's friends like formed this barbershop chorus and they sang at the funeral and her father cried. And she said what she most remembers from the funeral is not the sadness in the room, but what she described as the union between souls that the sadness brought forth. Oh, and that's really beautiful. Yeah. And I, I mean, I felt that as you were describing your river metaphor, it was, it's like a union be between souls moment. That's a good way to put it. So 
you know, if we want to do more of this and incorporate more of this in our lives, should we be sad more? Should we, what should we do to embrace kind of like the bittersweetness? It's not about being sad more. It's about being open more Mm. to everything that comes up, whatever it is. So the, the joys and the sorrows. So what I'd really say is like to open up more to beauty in general, because beauty and art are really about expressing everything about what it's like to be alive. Um, It's also about like telling the truth as much, much as possible about what life is actually like. We really need a way of doing this better on social media. Even when people talk about difficult things that have happened, it's also presented and curated. I don't know if we need to go back to the anonymity that we had in the early web where I feel like people really were more Mm -hmm. honest, Mm -hmm. but we need something like that. Well, Susan, thank you so much for, for talking with me today. It was really such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Anna. I really, really enjoyed it. Susan Kane's new book is called Bittersweet. She had that conversation with Nerdette producer Anna Bauman. And speaking of sweets, before we let you go, here's one last voicemail we got from a listener. Hi, Nerdette. This is Denise from Philadelphia. To kind of deal with life right now, um, I have just taken the full treat yourself philosophy And I have prepaid for 25 ice cream cones at the little ice cream shack by my house. And they have a different flavor of sprinkles every day of the week. Cheers. All right, that's it for this week. Sorry about the tattoo news, Anna's mom. I promise it's really tasteful. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman. Maggie Sivet builds our newsletter every week. It's pretty cool. Every Friday morning, we tell you about our newest episodes and send links to fun stuff. You can sign up for it at wbez.org slash nerdetteaf. Our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. We will see you next week. Uh, Good luck out there, team. We got this. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.